Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Director of Sport at Millfield School, Scott Draw, Director of Athletics at Millfield School, Alan Richardson, and Lead Practitioner and Athletic Development Coach at Millfield School, Graham Williams. tuned in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this week I am bringing you something slightly different in that we have three guys who work at Millfield School. So we've got Scott Draw, who's been on the podcast before when he was working for Team Sky. He's Director of Sport at Millfield. We also have Graham Williams, who is Lead Practitioner and Athletic Development Coach. And we also have Director of Athletics, Alan Richardson. So this concept I chatted through with Scott and I thought it'd be a really good idea to get these guys on and talk us through the changing landscape in school sport. And it's definitely a changing landscape. It's one that is giving many, many opportunities to strengthen conditioning coaches, especially here in the UK. So it was great to get someone like Scott to initiate this conversation with myself and the two other guys from Millfield. So we chatted about how the life outside school and elite sport is affecting their environment in school. We also chatted about how they manage the student athletes because they are students at the end of the day, but they're also participating in sport, whether that be at a a really high level and in academies or that just be at a participation level so that was a a really interesting chat and we also chatted about the changing environment for practitioners and what these guys at Millfield are actually doing for the developing practitioner through their internships and the structure they've provided there so a really interesting chat and something a little bit different in this episode we don't go into the depths of what the athletes the student athletes do on a day-to-day basis i.e sets and reps but we're looking at this more holistic view of pastoral care development of coaches development of of people um, which i think is a really nice angle to go in and sometimes sure would be very interesting to all those listening this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, AMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. 
So Imagu have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Scott Draw, Graham Williams and Alan Richardson. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I'm delighted to welcome the full team from Millfield School. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for coming on. So we've got Scott Draw, we've got Alan Richardson and we've got Graham Williams. So I'm going to come to you first, Alan. And just to give you give the listeners a bit of background on yourself, uh, education-wise, then we'll go through the team, and then we'll get into the uh, into the meat of the conversation. Okay, so um, educationally, I, I started off uh, as a P degree through what is now Leeds Beckett University, um, and, and taught in an independent environment for a year um, before going back for postgrad studies at Loughborough. Um, at that point, my coaching had, had taken off, as well as as well as my own competition in um challenges were, were were being faced so my, my career took me down a, a very much a coach development and coaching route um and away from the education sector at that time at which point i worked for england athletics and uk athletics and a number of coach development talent development and high performance coaching roles and then from there i moved to millfield into roles director athletics uh, just under five years ago excellent over to you, Scott. Yeah, I'm, I'm director of sport at Millfield School, so I've been here a year, but most of my career has been working in uh, high-performance sports, so with Team Sky, Ineos, um, England Rugby Talent Development, but spent most of my career in Olympic sport. Um, my education was uh, through Loughborough and Brunel, so followed very traditional sports science route to PhD programs, um, and made this leap last year. Um, and we want to share. I want to share some of those experiences and observations with Graham and Alan, just about that. I guess the environment around independent school sport and, and, and the opportunities it provides for everybody. Absolutely, really excited to get into the into the meat of it and get your all your experiences. So over to you, Graham. Okay, so uh, my role at Millfield is a uh, lead practitioner, athletic development coach. Um, educational background was undergrad degree at Loughborough University. Um, I'm accredited SNC coach with the UKCA. I did my masters in strength conditioning at St Mary's College in Twickenham, and currently studying for a professional doctorate um, with the guys up at the University of Central Lancashire. Um, never worked in pro sport. Um, always, always coached within educational establishments, particularly kind of creating. Um, and spent sort of uh, it's been my ninth year now in that kind of environment. So slightly different context to both Alan and Scott, but certainly my current studies are kind of just opening my eyes to kind of some of the challenges and opportunities in this environment working with young people. Sounds good. So I'm going to come back to you, Scott, first of all, and just be good to outline your observations over the last year since being at, at Millfield and just maybe give us a bit of a context around Millfield itself and then we can use that as a bit of a jumping off point to have a little uh, have a little chat about um 
about everything else. Yeah, I'm just so so as I sort of mentioned, I've only been here a year, and all my experience has been uh, in high performance sport. My, my career really started even before the EIS existed, as we now know it in the UK. So um, I was part of an early Olympic system and went through a real evolution of how that was beginning to grow in the UK. So I've really seen the birth and growth. I guess it's way beyond its teenage years. It's in its young 20s now, if you look at it. And um, I, I saw what I saw was the growth of talent, talent development, support in the real systematization of, of people in a way to give them the best opportunity to succeed in sport. And I've never understood or recognized the impact that that was having outside the world I was in. Um, so when I made the move to this role, um, I guess my, my the, the dynamics and my thought process around that changed dramatically just because I begin to see the imposition of sport and I guess the emergence of sport and Olympic system and the impact broadcasting and lottery money has had um, on, on this sector, particularly independent schools. So I think about a, a third of Olympic athletes will come through the independent private school sector. So relative to the side, it's significant. But it's been a real eye-opener when you see what's emerged outside of education, how education is trying to stay up with it, and the impact that has on those who come through this pathway. Um, just the level of expectation that comes from people deciding to come to this environment. I guess when you look at all the research and development that we understand about talent, how that plays itself out with young people. But, you know, we are a school. Milford is a school, and that's where it starts. But it's always truly believed in the value of sport for developing young people. And um, when I... When before I came here, I spent some time trying to understand its history. It's a really young independent private school, you know, formed in the 1930s. But it's always been about trying to find a curriculum to suit the individual, not the other way. And so sports always played a massive role in, in developing really good people. And when you look back at that history and understand why it was formed, it was really ahead, ahead of its time. So it's a really interesting place to observe for this year, just to put all that together and just to look at the value sport has on young people. But also coaches and practitioners who are now who are now working in this environment. Whether you train as a teacher or whether you train as a specialist coach, the impact you have on young people through sport, whether it's just for social recreational or whether you have higher aspiration, you know, it, it's it's just a fascinating place to be just to observe how people respond to it. Mm -hmm. What are your expectations coming into the into the role, and has that has that we correct? in some of the assumptions that you made before you came in or is it completely different to what you expected? Yeah, completely different to what I expected. In, in some ways, I didn't know what to expect because I didn't really understand the sector. I think my comment to people when I do speak to them is sport is sport. And I think in many cases, we, it's become a lot, we've made it a lot more complicated and complex than it needs to be. There's a real beauty and art to it. But I think because you see this emergence of talent development pathways, of high performance centres, of you know, lots of things happening outside, I didn't realise the imposition that's had on education um, and therefore the expectation it creates around young people, but also parents that decide to come here. So I really misread or misunderstood how parents perceive um, sport to be in schools and therefore what the expectations are of the, of the support we need to provide in that development. So I absolutely misunderstood that. And that's probably been my big learning of just around that level of expectation that comes with young people coming here with a dream, you know, and people need dreams to become the best they can be, but what that journey looks like, how unpredictable it can be. But then whether we truly back what the evidence tells us and whether we truly support that, and I guess one of the things we're trying to do is make sure what the evidence tells us about young people and in talent development, we truly apply. So you've got to believe it. You know, you read it, you've got to believe it, and you've got to practice it. 
and by believing it and practicing it, you can bring it to life. But um, I, I, yeah, I guess I never expected to see how that would play itself out in an environment like this. Mm-hmm. Just coming over to you, Alan, just getting your experiences from a, a similar transition from from pro sport into um, or institute sport into into a uh, private school. What's that been like for you? Similar to Scott, and uh, it surprised me um, at how difficult it would be and how different it was to what I expected. I I came to it with a, a genuine belief and and that the multi-sport values would be easy to manage and managing pupils' time would be really easy to allow them to play and gain an experience of a, of a team sport and athletics alongside each other year on year on year um, until the point where they would decide to specialise in a particular environment. And it was only when I began the journey through Millfield and my through my first year in Millfield and realising actually how busy independent schools are for, for young people as well as managing all of the external pulls of whether it's um, I've been on a national governing body pathway or an external club uh, competition program alongside of all their school commitments. But I started to realise how complex a journey is for a young person back in this boarding school environment. And it's actually the, the challenge, the big challenge, it hasn't been technical in its nature and, and building technical patterns or building behavioural patterns, but actually working with a, a big group of multi-sport coaches and, and Graham's team as well to try and have a package that really allows people to do the right amount and manage volume of training as well as their schoolwork and music commitments and external club commitments alongside their whole journey. Yeah, and just, just Rob, to sort of add to that, because I think it's a, it's a real point that Alan makes around when we talk about holistic, everyone talks about developing the person. I think one of the real strengths and observations I've had in, a, in the independent sector is actually how well independent schools do that. You know, because if you come here as a boarder, there's a big pastoral side, you've got your academics, you know, and we will have young people who are doing high volumes in their sport because, you know, when you're in a school, it's sort of all on site. Um, but you really see that come to life. And again, one of the, the second big reflection I've had of being here is the role that that pastoral side has on developing young people. You sort of underestimate the social, emotional, cultural development that that provides and how it prepares people for life, um, but also the value and lessons they get just by being a part of sport. Um, so it's just, you know, it's something I never expected to see, but it was at the end of year one, I just saw the value of, you know, that it provides to boarding students and how... I guess it's a sort of leveller, but how you've got to learn all parts of your life to achieve the best you can. Um, and it's interesting how that would apply. You know, if I take lessons from here and I was to ever go back into, into the other world, how I'll take a lot of that to try to apply into a different domain. Yeah. Yeah, so the way to sort of frame it, in, a, in, in, the, in the school environment, you, um, uh, if you're a boarder, you have a house master or a house mistress. They're like locus parentis. So they're like your mum and dad when you're not here. And they're like the equivalent of the head coach. With each individual, they, they oversee um, all their co-curricular demands. That may be music, sport. It could be art and drama, academics, and the development of you as a person and how you're engaging in the environment. So in an independent school environment, that that. That I guess the, the house parent is like the head coach. We feed into that through sport, 
Um, but we work really closely with that individual to understand how other things are playing out within their time here and therefore whether we need to pull back on sport, change sport and modify it accordingly. So, you know, if an individual is coming into a revision or exam period, we recognise the value it can be from coming away from your desk and doing all your revision, but also how we modify what, what we do so they can achieve their best at that moment in time. So house parent is always, that's the way I describe it, it's like the head coach, they have the oversight of everything around that individual. And we try to feed into that to make sure their experiences through sport um, are balanced accordingly based on everything going on in their life. I'm going to get Graham in here. I feel I feel like he's getting left out. Graham, just, just touching on one of the things that Scott mentioned about parents and expectation and how the influence of pro sport may be increasing that expectation and making it a little bit more difficult for the, for the staff involved in this process. What's that been like for you over time and how has that pressure from parents developed or maybe not developed? Yeah, I think um, I think early on it was it was made it was pretty pretty aware as a, as a practitioner in this kind of environment that you have to engage parents really early in, in, in any process, whether that be around an injury, whether that be around a, a physical training program or an approach, whether that be around some of our uh, video analytics, like they want to be involved, they want to be part of the process. So typically education would maybe separate parents and teachers and the pupil and what happens in the classroom gets done and then um, there's some outcome, whether that be a result or a review at a parent's evening. But parents in this space tend to be a bit more interactive on a daily, weekly basis. <clears throat> so you've really got to embed them into into your communication. We've got to really, one of my biggest lessons that I've learned is, is present present plenty of options for them to feel like they're making decisions alongside you and with you and not just separate them out and give them an outcome yeah, that engage them in that journey. And that really kind of enable, has enabled me to build some uh, education for them to, to help inform them over time and to kind of bring them along on the journey rather than kind of putting them out putting them out to the side. I don't know what other, the other guys would think about that. Yeah, I, I probably my third biggest observation really in relation to that, Graeme summed, summed it really well, is you know parents are significant stakeholders in the development of their child and they know them better than we do in many cases. So I think historically people have tended to keep parents uh, at distance, but um, they play such an important role in the development of their child. They know them better than you do. They know various aspects of it. Um, they're a critical part of, of the development of that young person. So you have to embed them and communicate as much as possible. You know, and, and we may not have done it as well as we could have done in the past, but it's a massive thing for us. You know, we're about to launch a big parents and sport program. It's been inclusive as possible, really. Um, and I think that's that's a, another really important lesson that I've learned for sure. Mm-hmm. Just going back to the kind of beliefs that you mentioned uh, and around how that links to the research. When you come into the role, Scott, is there anything that you did to try to pull the team together in, into kind of one, to speak one language, to to push towards one goal, whether it be a departmental goal or kind of bigger, wide-ranging goal? What was that process like for you coming in to try to pull things together and go in direction that you thought and the other guys and girls thought was was the way to go? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always a work in progress. Still, only a, you know a year in post. There's been a new headmaster, and and I was new in the post. Lots of other new roles here, but I think um, one of the strengths of Mealfields the the diversity and range of sports we do. So you know everything from fencing, mod pent, swimming, uh, table tennis, tennis, rugby, football, hockey. You know, equine, all the equine sports. There is so much diversity. 
And there's so many nuances in and among each of those. So trying to find some commonality just takes time, really. And I think that the commonality by which everybody connects to is just the fact that, you know, our, our roles help support the development of really good young people. The school historically has really believed in sport as a vehicle to do that. And I think that's what everyone connects to and absolutely believes. So actually in the, in the first year, um, I did a bit of research and we partnered with an external group that got all of our coaches to share stories and memories and experiences of their, of what's gone on at Millfield. So we went through a research process. We captured all those stories and did a lot of sense making. And then we looked at the themes that emerged from that bit of work. And in fact, all those themes and principles and beliefs that we have about sports, um, whether it's serendipity or not, resonated really well with why this school was formed in 1935. So by getting individuals to share their experiences here, that helped me understand the environment a lot more, and I'm still learning about it. But more than anything, it really helped highlight the beliefs we have about sport, and that's really helped us drive what we do in our programmes and you know how we design them, the opportunities we provide, the fixtures we play. Because we believe in those doing the right things, it really, I guess, underpins those beliefs. So we're working on it, but I think there's real commonality across the diverse things we do. And I think, you know, I feel that's getting some, I guess, some some anchorage with everybody to help us move forward. Mm-hmm. So just get you back in, Alan, when it comes to the, the kind of research around working with young people, and there's obviously many, many challenges, whether it, no matter what environment you're in to actually apply that research into a into a practical setting. But I'm guessing because of there's so many moving parts in a school, it makes it extra difficult for you guys to translate what you're reading on the kind of science research side actually into into Millfield. Is there anything you do particularly well on that front and, and try to, to get that information into your day-to-day practice? Well, I think that the, at the heart of it is the fact that when we looked at all of our beliefs and values as a, as a sport team and as a group of coaches, that ultimately everyone believes that the pupil should be at the front and centre of every bit of a programme rather than a specific team, rather than how those pupils can fit into a rugby team or a hockey team or an athletics programme. It is about having a a very clear individualised programme with the pupil right at the centre of it. And I think that allows us to really create a, a programme which is truly multi-sport for each and every pupil where they want it to be and then specialise in their given sport at the correct time for that individual person. And I think that's what we do really, really well about it. And I think that comes from possibly the fact that we're all there together as staff with similar beliefs or whether recruitment has been done to bring people together with those similar beliefs um, that gives us that basis that the pupil is at right at the centre of everything we do. Um, that means that then we do work quite well pastorally with um, with house parents and, and group tutors and other sports coaches and Graham's team around the around the sports science support and, and the coaching of S&C. And I think that's what what creates a really unique environment to everybody um, is that we, we really do work as a team with a pupil right at the heartbeat of, of every programme we're trying to put forward. And I think the fact that each one of our high-talent, high-demand individuals has an individual development programme that takes into consideration all of their academic and sporting commitments that really gives a long-term vision and long-term development process for every single every single child that, that falls within that in that area 
is is crucial and allows us to really start to dig deep into what that person's going to need for their journey throughout the whole five years at the school. And, and Rob, it's just worth noting, probably a fourth big observation from me, Graham's, um, both Graham and Alan, when they articulate actually that the number of stakeholders around an individual pupil in a, in a in an independent private school is often much larger than I've ever worked with in high performance sport. So if you imagine you're studying nine to 10 GCSEs, you may have that number of teachers, you've got a group tutor, you've got a house parent. You know, if you're also, you know, strong at a number of sports, you'll have a number of coaches plus you know, plus the parents. And if you're doing sport outside and the reality is now for any with, you know, relative high ability and they're engaged with pathways, they'll have coaches outside in their sports as well. You begin to get a feel of the scale of the number of individuals that are having some influence on the development of that individual. It's it's significant and you go work work really hard to make sure there's just, just good consistent messages in supporting that individual on their journey. So a stakeholder team, you know, for a young, talented individual in a school like Millfield is significant and, you know, lots of people having lots of influence. So coming back to you, Graham, how do you manage that from a strength and conditioning programming element, given they are pulled in so many different directions and not only the physical aspect, but the psychological, emotional, obviously these could be 15, 16-year-old guys and girls going through a lot. Um, in other areas as well. So how do you guys manage that? Yeah, I think it's a pretty unique opportunity just to just to get a full perspective. And I, I, I spoke with some guys at the EIS, at the EIS Symposium recently and I, and I kind of proposed the concept of the brilliant basics. Like we're always tapping into those fundamentals and trying to fill those tanks up as much as possible. But one avenue, one aspect that, that I had over them in terms of me living and coaching in this world is just I... I, I saw the pupil. I saw the pupil at seven o'clock in the morning when they arrived to school for an early morning uh, SNC session. I saw them at break time when they were socialising around school. I see them at lunchtime. I see them at like there's just you, you kind of live and breathe the kind of development process. Those you capture those moments where you see them in tears. You see them in the high. You see them being successful on the sports pitch. You you see the reports come through when they're struggling academically or succeeding academically. So you start to build a bit of a feel, a bit of a picture about when they walk into your session what some of their challenges or, or opportunities across the week have been, and you can start that conversation on the most appropriate footing. And it definitely, connect, the connection then starts to build over time, the trust, the respect, uh, the fact that they they start to feel and you start to feel that there's a good kind of, a good solid relationship building. Um, and I guess that's pretty unique then, because my understanding sort of some of the academy environments is the kind of contact points are, are much shorter. It's much more around when you pull your jersey on and walk into the gym, you're seen as that individual representing the academy and you go home and, and that door kind of shuts. But this is kind of you know, a 12-hour day of, of kind of supporting pupil development. Um, I'll just pick up on a few things that Alan mentioned, really just about the kind of holistic supporting the pupil from the wider aspect. Um, Scott challenged me just a little bit with around how do, how do we do this better? How do we really paint some pictures and start to start to connect all those stakeholders and, and put again put the pupil back in the middle of the discussion and, and we so we picked up a kind of a, a project around supporting multi-sport pupils those who initially it was around those who were kind of on pathways or representative in a number of sports but it's become much more around pupils who have significant challenges around managing sport academics co-curricular um, and just supporting them to make sure that they know when they step into a new week what the balance of their week looks like. And there are a couple of things that really stood home for us or really kind of hit home around 
how we could best do that. Um, one was always trying to paint some some pictures in in the distance, like look a little bit further ahead than than just the next day, just the next week, and that helped people get perspective on how important an individual training session was, or or the or the match on the next Saturday. It was much more around okay, what's happening next term? What, how does this fit into a longer development plan? Um, it was always had to be viewed through a wide lens, so it was never just about sport. We had to pull in the academic teams, the pastoral teams, the house the house master mistress to help support that because they saw things that we didn't see and that was always going to add value. It was always going to be, as Alan said, about the what's best for the pupil, both at this point and in the future. And then the final one for us was just about creating options for everybody to then comment on, especially the pupil, because once they got engaged in the process, um, we knew the kind of the buy-in would be, would be better. And some experiences more recently is pupils are now coming back in to me to ask for that support rather than us having to chase them. And that, for me, shows that there's been an impact. So so how do you structure it, Graham, in terms of the guys that are or, and girls who are, who are involved in, the, I suppose, I don't know what you term it, but the, the high performers and their access to, to you and the rest of the staff and sessions and equipment and all that kind of stuff? How do you structure that versus the, the other pupils that are just pupils and enjoy sport? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much that... That part of it doesn't necessarily necessarily dictate the opportunities. It's much more my feel and my experience is much more around what does the pupil, what's the people willing to commit, what are they willing to put into it. Um, if they're committed, work, are willing to are willing to uh, work hard, are willing to are willing to show how the support network around, whether it be physical preparation or, or video analysis or nutrition, about how that can support them in their journey then the opportunities can be made available. The knock-on effect of that is it's a big a big program to deliver. This isn't selective. It isn't just about um, the top slice. This has got to be more about more around um, the opportunities for young people to learn around physical training, around rehabilitation, around uh, fueling themselves for a busy school day. And so once you create those opportunities, then you've got to have good access points. You've got to have a robust kind of resources staff to deliver um there's got to be some good communication with coaches buying into that process like for sure coaches will have a group of, of pupils who they feel warrant a service but that fluctuates as well based upon behaviors and uh people jump people entering in and out of programs and stuff but it, likewise as scott said then it goes back to some key principles around in the physical preparation area you know we go back to basics on our technical mastery on our strength foundation, on great movement skills, around behaviours in the gym, around understanding programming, and then sort of building layers up on top of that. By the time they leave us over a five-year period, they should be well-versed to be able to walk into any programme and not be the guy stuck at the girl stuck at the back of the gym with a wooden pole. They want to be stepping forward, grabbing hold of their programme and be relatively independent in, in what they do. So that, that's kind of the vision of it, Rob, just just for understanding really the audience as well. I guess you typically in um so Millfield has a you know reputation for sport, and we certainly have twenty twenty five percent of uh you know of young students who will be engaged in sport outside of school. So they may be associated with a national governing body pathway in some format. So that could be you know two children, fifty individuals. We have a the biggest proportion of. You know, young people we have, or what I would term competitors, where they just love sport, they love engaging in sport with their peer group, they like the competitive nature of it, 
they enjoy and get fun from fixtures and training, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It really provides a balance to their life. Um, we would have others who just engage for social recreational reasons. And equally, in, in any independent school, you have those who hate it. And probably those are the ones that give me uh, most sleepless nights because I think what we're always <laughs> looking to do is how do we engage them in just activity because the the other the un, you know the values of sport that can bring you you know through friendship socially emotionally and all the challenges it helps pre- pre- in that it can prepare you for life we truly believe in so we've got to find the right medium and the right sports and the right activities that engages everybody gives them an opportunity to get enjoyment and to be better at what they do. Because um, Graham's been involved in some research, which I'll, I'll get to sort of explain, where we've tried to understand, you know, young people that have been at the school and the benefits of being engaged in sport, what it's give to them long term. So there's some fascinating insights of how we get that right. But we, we've had to be a lot more dynamic in the types of sports we offer and the types of activities. You know, um, so, you know, we now do parkour and free running. We're trying to introduce more MMA. We're trying to do a lot more do- more dynamic sports that appeal to a younger population, as well as the traditional hockey, rugby, footballs and all those as well. We've got to try to find other ways that, that you get people excited, engaged, where they can learn a lot more about themselves. I'm interested to hear about your research, Graham. Do you want to go? Uh, yeah, sure. I guess this is, um, yeah, kind of two and a half years in. Um Typically not in a, in a strength and conditioning domain, and, and purposely so. Like I just felt that I wanted to know more about um, kind of the true value, the real value of this kind of whole process, whether that be through my work in an independent school or engaging with um, young athletes who've been on pathways. And I just wanted to know, try and understand more about just what they got out of it. Like so, the, the kind of over the kind of the headline, the, the kind of Twitter. Twitter kind of line would be the, kind of the dead wood of talent development. And that sounds pretty brutal, but um, like the facts, we know the majority don't make it. Um, but we know there's also some kind of strong tactical and strategic reasons why pathways do what they do, um, whether that be financial success, whether that be um, supporting development into, into, professional, into professional sport within their own teams. Uh, but the majority will never get there. And um, I just wanted to know more about what the real value of that journey was. And so I'm kind of, um, yeah, two studies into my professional doctorate exploring this area. Um, The first study um, was titled, I didn't make it, but dot, dot, dot. And it was around um, young people who, unfortunately, had all all been through Millfield, but had all been on an external representative pathway in in various sports. Um, they typically had between five to seven years where they sort of committed their life to being involved in pathways. And they were about two and a half years post deselection. So they'd been told they'd had their review meetings, didn't make it. Two and a half years later, they were kind of looking back on that journey and looking back at kind of the, the real value of what that, those experiences had offered them in, in life. Um, and there were some really profound things that came out, both like the majority of it very positive, but also stuff where you'd, share that with talent pathways and, and just ask them what, what they could do to, to improve the experience of the majority. Um, like some of the typical stuff around just the, the kind of high performance support that they got, being in those kind of professional club environments, just amazing experiences and the expectations of professionalism, just like the standards that are set, um, the kind of motifs around being successful with the things they were able to hold on to and transfer into kind of into normal life, if you like. Um, some of the other areas were kind of this concept of, um, of taking personal responsibility for their development. So 
that journey was tough. Uh, I had highs and lows. I was really challenged. I was in environments where we played some amazing teams and I had to really kind of step up and find a way. And so some of those kind of psycho-behavioral skills of, um, of really controlling myself, managing myself, being robust in challenging environments, being under the pump and being un- uncomfortable, having to interact with new teams, new coaches, um, stepping up to another representative level and having to understand where do I fit in this. They were all able to kind of like uh, verbalize that and narrate that into, into benefit, beneficial aspects to kind of support their development outside of sport. And that's been then really profound on my, my coaching practice, just about really understanding that the physical bit will <laughs> always be a driver. But actually, I, when I've got that, those three, four sessions a week with these guys or girls, like I can contribute to that process as well. And that's been a really big learning opportunity for me. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Graham, Scott and Alan. So coming up in part two, one of the most interesting pieces of conversation that I think I've had on this, definitely this episode, but other episodes as well. And it's one conversation around how the guys at Millfield, and Alan in particular as director of athletics, are working with athletes and alongside the coaches of various different sports to enhance their physical qualities, yes, to improve their athletics or their, their track and field, but also develop them, them qualities that transfer over to their sport when it's not athletic season. So I thought that was a really, really interesting concept. And obviously, there's a lot of moving parts with different student athletes, different sports that are in season at the time, but also trying to always develop them physical qualities that are going to lead back to athletics and also have that transference to sport. So a really interesting part two coming up where we discuss a number of a number of things, but in particular that. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kangatech. So born out of 10 years of research and development, Kangatech is the world's most advanced injury prevention platform. So most recently, Kangatech has released its KT360 testing and training platform, which consists of a portable and adaptable, easy to use fixed frame dynamometry system that allows accurate and reliable measurement of isolated neuromuscular strength, endurance and control. Advanced software analytics allow sport-specific athlete profiling to understand injury risk and guide prescription of appropriate intervention. Kangatech has developed over 35 isometric and eccentric testing and training protocols spanned across the whole body. With KT360, you can test one muscle group bilaterally, and that can be done in under 30 seconds with real-time biofeedback and immediate automated reporting designed to motivate the athlete and inform staff of outcomes instantaneously. To find out more about Kangatech, email how at kangatech.com, visit the website at kangatech.com, or check them out on Twitter at kanga underscore tech. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. 
A mega wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. I'm going to come to you in a minute, Alan. I promise we're going to get you in around around athletics and how you can provide that positive environment around sport and exercise for these young people transitioning um, through Millfield. But just another thing, uh, Graham, the transitions that these guys and girls go through when they're going through Millfield and, and come out the end, maybe who don't go into pro sport. Is there any areas that, exciting areas that these guys and girls go into? Yeah, like I think from my experiences, yeah, like there's multiple worlds. Um, like the, the more and more we've seen interest in kind of the sports science realms and those pupils that we've worked with pretty closely, whether that be in physiotherapy, performance analysis, strength and conditioning, that's been a more common kind of avenue where people have come back into us, whether that be simply asking about the journey, like what does it take to get there, like what, what qualifications will I need, what experiences should I go after, whether that be coming back in on sort of mini placements and just trying to understand what, what day in the life looks like. Um, the transition into university is strong, and I'm sure Scott will share a bit more detail on that. Um, but more so people's continually to engage in sport from a both health and kind of well-being perspective. I think that's been one of my biggest take-homes that for those people who have good experiences, they stay stay in the thing they love doing and they carry on doing it. Um, and likewise, in my, in my first study, those who had some pretty rough experiences, and that was it. That I, I don't want to play this sport anymore because because that experience was so poor and that's kind of shut me off from that from that journey. So, But uh, Scott will share more, I guess, the, some of the other transitions. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're trying to do is think a lot hard around how we help people prepare, you know, when they leave here. So, and be a lot more systematic around the transitions we can help help people with. So, um, I guess some people, a very small proportion, do want to do amazing things as participants. But sport, as we know now, is a much bigger industry. You know, when I started my career in the early 2000s, when lottery money first came into the UK system, it's dramatically different to what it is now. So there are careers, you know, in coaching, in science, in medicine, in events organisation, in broadcasting, in social, in marketing. And we try to use sport here increasingly to prepare people for that bigger environment. Because even if you do make it in, in the top end of sport, the reality is your career is over by the time you're 30 or mid-30s at latest. And the more that we can do through sport here to prepare people for life in sport, I think the more successful we'll be. And Graham's works really help us inform that, but also therefore those relationships with education and with the pastoral team are a massive part of it. We don't see sport in isolation. It's just another vehicle as music or academics or drama or art as a way to help develop brilliant people for the next stage of the career. And sport now is a significant career. So we, we really work hard to get that right, you know, whether your experiences are in the gym or in athletics or in another type of sport. And I think that that, that idea of thinking of those transitions is a really important thing that we're, we're spending time on. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to get you back in now, Alan. So, yeah, <laughs> just to come just to come back to my point, how are you guys doing it on the athletic side to give these guys and girls positive experiences, not just for the sport, but just general exercise and, and, and like I say, pushing them through the pathway? Well, I think if, if we look at athletics as a whole, we know it's a late development sport and we know that it has a really unique position in sport as well because in terms of development of movement, it can support and underpin so many other areas. And, and 
we have multiple sessions across the week where we're either supporting the fast bowlers as a department and supporting them into how to develop acceleration and upright running mechanics or we're working with Graham's team in terms of CPD about how they might coach acceleration to team sport performers. So we're in a really unique position to, to fit across a lot of areas. Um, and, and I think that that's the key, that we have a, a five-year window for a lot of our pupils. Um, we know that a good time to specialise is, is 16 plus through a lot of the research and a lot of research that Graham's done and, and brought to the table as well that's been done in other places. Um, so when we build our program, we're starting to look at it from that fold that in years nine to 11, so kind of 13 to 16 years old, what we're trying to do is see each year as a, as a free term year in, in the first, in the first term primarily is for us a real preparation period. It's real traditional periodization model of, of a real key periodization model. They are with us developing, movement skills, technical quality, alongside what at that point is their primary competition phase in another sport. So if they've got a pretty high-intensity rugby program going on at that time because they're playing regional national qualifiers, big matches on a, on a weekend, playing three times a week of, of rugby, um, and then we're working our programming alongside that to develop um, kind of key skills that would, would support their their athletics performance in the summer, their athletics performance long term, but also their current rugby performance. So that's, I think, where the true nature of how we work together is is crucial. So sitting down with that particular rugby coach or our director of rugby and saying, right, what's coming up for this for this individual pupil? Well, actually, you know, they're really struggling with with you know, their acceleration on a rugby pitch. They're they're great over five meters, but actually, it's a their maximum speed that needs to develop and they're a sprint or a hurdler on the track. So actually it starts to, to help support their their whole long-term development as a sports person, not just a track and field athlete. And as kind of Graham said, we know that even those who are through the pathway of individual or talent development kind of sport models, we know that the transition rate to professional sport is, is, is really low. So, um, as a department, we're always trying to see, well, what can we do in supporting their athletics development? But what more importantly can we do to support their athletic development um, that's going to support across across a number of, of different sports? And I think that's one of the things that athletics does alongside the other sports really well. And Millfield does better than, than, than I imagined when I first arrived was starting to work together around each individual pupil and each individual age group to build that the annual plan around each individual person that's going to give them the skills to be successful in whichever sport they go to when they start to specialize as they get older, but just as importantly to give them a positive, um, a, a positive start to their sporting careers that might keep them being physically active for a long time when they do potentially move away from competitive sport. So the first term is really about how do we prepare people? How do we work across multiple sports? The second term tends to be, uh, a process where um, older, more specialised athletes are starting to learn about competition. So we'll go to indoor competitions. Um, how do we learn to deal with with defeat? How do we learn to deal with disappointment? How do we learn to deal with success? How do we learn to, to reflect on performance? How do we learn to set and then um, set goals and review goals and maybe reset goals as we're going through through the term? 
And then that's where we start to see pinch points for young people. So how do we start to manage pinch points of people who are in a, in a high-performance environment in rugby, maybe playing academy rugby or netball or first-team netball coming towards a national championship, but they're seriously competitive track and field athletes as well, maybe involved in music production and they're starting to get through um, some of their early exam time. So that term's really about supporting the the introduction to competition, the managing multiple competition across multiple sports and helping them deal with some of the more holistic mechanisms that they're going to go through through A-levels and university years of how do they manage their time across academic and sporting commitments. Um, and that becomes much wider than, than, than athletics. And I think that's a crucial part of that second term for each individual person as they go through. And then term three for us is really about how do we support people to excel? Um, so it's that opportunity for people to to excel and, and achieve goals, whatever they may be, right from is it if I can qualify for a school team and get in a school team, I've really achieved success for this individual person through to somebody wanting to, to work alongside UK Athletics and we've got somebody who is, is currently on the Futures programme and how do we work to educate them around things like selection policies for major games, making sure they learn how to read a selection policy, set goals accordingly, choose race plans accordingly, um, and how do we support them through through that process as well. That sounds really interesting around actually working with the different coaches of different sports who are, have a bigger emphasis at that time, whether it be rugby season versus athletic season and how you can support them is there anything you do scott from a an academia along a similar thing to the academia how you support them in the classroom with the the teachers of various different subjects from a sport perspective uh, uh yeah yeah I, I guess and just before i answer that i just if it, yeah, Go for it. um i think what alan really highlighted there is you know, we I, I guess a lot of people will talk about a multi-sport experience for most individuals i think um I don't know where you can pick up on this one, but when I've really gone to explore what does multi-sport mean, you know, I guess people really struggle to articulate what that, and it's so individual. So multi-sport sometimes is doing lots of sports at the same time, but equally we'll have pupils who may do predominantly one sport one term and pick up another sport another term. Um, one sport may be more social recreational, one may be a more, more, bit more competitive. We've really tried to spend time with both Graham and a lot of the coaches to understand what that looks like and what the best is for each individuals. Because I think you can read all the science and all the research when people talk about that, and I guess it isn't quite definitive. So, you know, and, and what sports are line to one another so we'll have a lot of pupils here that it may naturally like a winter summer mix but you'll equally have pupils that may have because you know sports are quite seasonal um that may have been really good at two sports that are clashing at one point in time athletics works pretty well with rugby i guess that's a fair point isn't it alan yeah i think that what my experience of the last five years has really taught me that multi-talented pupils students tend to be pretty physically gifted and multi-talented in a number of areas so Athletics is, is so I think, is in a unique position that it we tend it tends to work really well across um, winter summer with rugby. It tends to work very well winter summer across across football, um, winter spring and, and summer with netball. Um, so the only the only two clashes in terms of sport commitment tends to be and, and more much more so in in girls cricket and athletics much more recently. So we have a real blend between those pupils who are 
we're supporting through a process that is a multi-sport experience, which is multiple sports concurrently, um, where load management is is the most crucial part of that. And we also have this big mix of other children who are, who are working within athletics within the summer term only, want a really positive experience, want to understand actually what can I choose here that's going to help me become a better sports person when I go back to my main sport next term. And, and I think they're the, the unique positions that, that Millfield does provide that we have kids that are working across all of those domains and working across all of those experiences and are, are, are managing to, to fit that within their school day as well, rather than necessarily being um, traveling to one place, traveling to another place, traveling to another place. And I think that's a, a crucial way of how the school and the academic side can support us through the house parents working as our head coach role to manage all of their total load, including the academic academic load that we'll get often during the summer, which is during the athletics competition term. So, so sorry that was a bit of diversion, Rob. Um, but I that's all right. No, don't um, worry. One of Thank the things you. that we really tried to explore was what multi sport really is, because people experience it in so many different ways. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but that's that thought process we've sort of had around. So this is what the science and evidence says. You know about you know do lots of different things, try lots of different different avenues. And um, when we really try to understand it, you know, particularly through the individuals that come through the experiences here, there is no one, you know, one right way. I think it's just recognising that you just you just need to consider all aspects and all avenues. Um, but, but coming back to your other question around that balance with sport and academics, I think Millfield uh, is a school, first and foremost. And I think what it's always been really strong at, and people will think it's a specialist sports school. It's not. It's a school. But I think one of its standout features is its ability to provide dual or triple development pathways so we would you know we recognize the value that the link between the classroom and the sports field and the sports field in the classroom or whether you're in your music hall so that that combination of very different learning environments they all bounce off each other and we work really hard to connect with you know all the teachers and in fact in this school all the teachers are also coaches you know teaching is coaching coaching is teaching an interesting yeah. debate but they all contribute significantly to our sports program and we couldn't do sport for everybody in here without them so on a wednesday and saturday um the sort of school closes down we have very traditional sport afternoons and all the teachers will help support the delivery of sport for 1300 pupils and and they see the students and the, the pupils in many different domains and that you know that they have different skills to bring to the table which our coaches learn learn from and vice versa so we try to create that I guess a mashup in some ways across all those domains, whether it's music, whether it's in the dance room, um, whether it's on the sports field and with all those multi-sports and in the classroom. I think we're trying to create that because everyone can learn so much off one another. But um, yeah, the, the teacher coaches and the teachers see a very different side of individual students. So that connection with them in many different domains is a massive part of what we, we try to encourage and are trying to do more and more. So what, what, what part do they play on like a Wednesday afternoon and a Saturday at the teachers to support you guys? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be as simple as they may be responsible for a group of students, say in, in this, this football is one of our sports of the term this term. Um, they may be a qualified coach, they may not be, but they may help support an age group in a particular team and they'll be providing coaching support on the field. They'll be taking them to fixtures. You know, they'll be helping do selection. They'll be, you know, deciding what drills and practices and small-sided games may look like. So they'll be working with other coaches across different age groups and different teams to provide those experiences. So, you know, but it's, as developers of young people, 
they'll have approaches they'll use in the classroom, which they can also bring onto the sports field and vice versa. So that they play a massive role on Wednesday, Saturday, Mondays, and you know they're a key part of sport at Millfield. Um, and we couldn't do that for everybody without without the expertise they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just moving on to the the actual environment of of working the school itself. It'd be great to get your experience, Graham, because obviously you've been there a number of years in your in your role as um, with athletic development side. And what what kind of environment it is to work in? And you obviously enjoy it because you've been there for uh, for a number of years. But just give us some kind of examples or uh, experiences that you've had over the last six seven years while you've been working there. Um, just as an env- like working in, in that school environment, which many people will have experience in. Yeah, I guess like Scott's done a really good job, and Alan as well, just of kind of painting the picture of how dynamic, how complex at times, how uh, challenging, but how rewarding it can be. And I think that those kind of words probably sum it up for me. Um, you get the opportunity to to see genuine genuine development over a consistent period of time. So typically pupils would enter into the senior school in which we, in which we, we work at, at year nine, so 13, 14 years old. And when I, when I first got the role at Milford, my ambition was always to commit to seeing a pupil or a group of pupils from their entry into year nine and, and, and exit at, at upper sixth at, at 17, 18 years old. And I, just, I was fascinated about, about what I could do as a, as a strength conditioning coach over a five-year journey to contribute towards their, their development physically in sport but also um also to their social emotional kind of uh, um kind of like ability to develop and grow and, and interact and like that for me that was just a fascinating opportunity um i guess picking off some of my lessons learned over that period of time then as i review this year about that journey that there's a couple of th- key things which stand out for me is is one um what it takes time like there's no, there's no rushing this development process, like particularly from a physical preparation perspective. Um, there's always avenues to explore to get better at. So keeping that kind of um, that wide breadth, having having really wide breadth on what on what skills you develop, that big toolbox of skills should always be a real real big focus. Um, the, there'll be successes and failures, like it's never a smooth journey. So those beautiful models which you which you'll see in the research, those fantastic pathways which say do X here, do Y here, try a little bit of this at this point, maybe transition here, like it, 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 like it never works out like that. Um, and so that's then the skill of, of a coach and a practitioner is to interpret what those, what those models say, but then bring it to life in practice and use interpretation and build some evidence to support your decision-making to make sure any slight adjustments or diversions you take are kind of relatively well, well rationalized. So um, and that's helped me inform some of, some of my decision making around uh, programming, around philosophy, around my beliefs, um, around supporting young people to develop through the school. One, I'll share one experience particularly that I always refer back to and is always kind of front and centre was, so we had a, a, a female pupil and her, her background for many years was in athletics. She was strong, she was very capable, but she was never going to going to be a professional athlete in that area. Um, we connected a little bit with UK Sport and the IS around some of the talent transfer initiative, initiatives that were happening around around Olympics and Commonwealth Games, and we gave a group of pupils the opportunity to, to, to explore those, the, some of the physical testing batteries that they might experience on 
if they were to enter a talent part, a talent transfer program. And this pupil did particularly well. She stood out. Her results were really strong. And that then suddenly conversations were were to were for her to explore a different avenue, a different sport. Um, later down the line, that became much more formalised, and she was on a an, an MGB Pro pathway. But the most pertinent bit of it was the kind of SNC coach who was engaged at the other end of the pathway, just emailing me back one evening and just saying, "Just thank you for thank you for doing all the stuff that that all the dirty stuff, all the kind of like hours of greasing the groove and, and technical work, because now we can just." She, this this people can just kick on, and so for me that's a big kind of big lesson that I've learned is that yeah sometimes sometimes we want to we want to accelerate sometimes we want to progress, but if if we don't do the basics if we don't nail down fundamental movement skills competent movement competencies start developing some sort of technical strength technical strength profiles like somebody else is going to have to do that later down the line I think that's our role in this space is we've got that five year five-year commitment and journey like let's make the most of that and fill as many of our kind of physical buckets up as possible to allow other people when pupils exit this environment to to crack on and to when they jump onto those pathways to really accelerate forward so that's kind of my biggest biggest lesson so is that something you think about on a daily basis that you're actually setting these guys up not just for like if someone's good at rugby they're actually you know there's that rugby pathway but the wider Who's going to be supporting these when they leave the school? Does that is that something that you think about on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. And it's conversations we have with within our practitioner group all the time. You know, and it's challenges we have amongst ourselves, whether that be uh, between provisions, uh, strength and conditioning and physiotherapy, or strength and conditioning and analysis. Like the skill set that people are developing needs to prepare them for the environments they're going to go into. Whether that be going into a university pre-season rugby program and being able to jump on a laptop and review footage quickly and interact with technology effectively, whether that be the ability to fuel yourself around a busy day at school, but that likewise that will be equally as taxing in a university environment. Good decisions around food, the ability to adapt a, a menu to what your requirements of the session you just come from or the session you just go into. So those are the kind of like skills we're always trying to and um, particularly my experiences with bringing younger practitioners or younger coaches into into our into our kind of sports science domains. Uh, uh, their learning or their placement experiences has often been in pro sport, often been with research, which is kind of projecting perfect scenarios. And the reality is actually it, is much, it can be, we can make it much more simple than that. And if we do, it will be really effective. And so orientating those discussions back to what's the most important thing at this point in time. Where have pupils come from? Where are they going to get to? And what, what's our role in that kind of journey? So just talking about the practitioner, or your practitioner a little bit more, and coming back to you, Alan, um, is there anything that you do particularly well for young practitioners coming into Millfield? Yeah, I think um, I was just listening to Graham there and, and just picking up on something, if I can take a slight divergence as, as well. As, of course. Like, just thinking back to what inspired me to to come to Millfield initially was I was based out of Loughborough University for a lot a large proportion of my my coaching journey right from my introductory time as a coach coaching lower level participants um, who are very much university athletes through to some, some elite athletes and it got me thinking about the question always there was what does success look like and that is that's driven a lot of that day-to-day thought process what does success look like and for some people it's making sure we're aware of the, the, the next journey and who's going to take 
take these people on because we should be part of their journey. We're not the end of their journey if we if we do things right. So it's about putting the things, the technical skills and the physical skills in place for the next person to drive their journey forwards to, to what would be hopefully the pinnacle of their career. And whether that is that we're putting things in place so they are lifelong involved in sport or whether we are putting the things in place to give them the best opportunity to go on and be Olympians. Um, I think is is that key thing for me. And within that, to answer what we do for young young practitioners, young coaches in sport, is we we have a number of, of, of young coaching interns. And I think this is, again, back to that, what does success look like? That we have, for the first time in athletics this year, had a, a full-time intern that works for us this year, works across multiple areas, primarily 75% of their role is around coaching athletics and developing as a coaching athletics but they also are involved in the boarding side of the school and have boarding duties around a year nine boarding house um, work within graham's athletics athletic development team as well and starting to engage and understand working with practitioners they're doing some work with cricket um, they're doing some work down at the prep school as well starting to understand what the pe curriculum is like and how they can be involved around that from an educational standpoint so when when we brought brought this this intern in this year, it was about what is their opportunity to to create somebody who will go on to a, a lifelong career in sport, whether that does turn out to be in more of an educational setting as a PE teacher or as a high performance coach. Wasn't really the outcome of which direction they go, but to give somebody the opportunity to come in, be mentored, learn how to to plan training, learn how to plan and develop young people learn practical coaching skills, both through them observing a, a large proportion of very highly qualified and experienced coaches, both from one of my coaching staff who works with me every day, who's a full-time PE teacher, but also an excellent coach. And I think the skill set that he brings that marries both of those areas is is absolutely what makes him a great coach, is the fact that he's a great teacher, um, but also been observed and having feedback from all of those people as well gives them such a diverse and deep understanding of what coaching young people is like, not just from a technical standpoint. I think at the start of the year, when we when we started to ask them what they wanted to gain from the year, it was about developing technical skills. How do I become a better pole vault coach? How do I learn how to coach javelin? How, how will those things help this person to to drive their careers forwards. And as we've gone through the year, we've already had conversations about, well, what what way I go now? Actually, I'm learning to manage people. I'm learning to manage young people who have had good days and bad days. I'm learning that there is no perfect plan, but actually how I react to scenarios and be creative and develop skills and develop smiles on a, on a training day are what they're really gaining from a year. So I think the key now was we go back and, and with, with Graham's team who've had these coaches in there for a little bit longer is to continue to follow their pathway and reflect on where they go over the next 12 months post post a year of coaching Millfield or 24 months or five years and 10 years. I think that'll be a real, a really key part of our reflections on how well we do this, this role with young coaches is to give them professional opportunities, but are we doing it in a way that it will continue to be a key part of their career going forwards? Um, and I think that's where we'll we'll reflect and year on year at the end of each year with with each person that comes in is 
how are we going to make a better journey for them to develop as, as professionals in which um, which direction are they going into? Do you have a specific strategy around internships, Scott, and what they do as part of the internship, what you have, kind of follow ups afterwards, as, as Alan says? Is there anything in place around internships? Yeah, I'll, I'll pass this one over to Graham because he's really yes. led this the school before my time. So I'll, I'll let him talk through it. But he's got some numerous great examples of the sort of process individuals go through here. Yeah, I guess um, I guess in the field of strength and strength conditioning, like internships, placements, they've had a bad rap, and and the UKCA have done a really good job of trying to trying to formalise and get get uh, employers back into some good practice, and I think that's been really healthy, a really healthy process to go through, and it gives people a starting point to to connect with their their managers to connect with their organisations and say, look, as a minimum, we should be doing X, Y, and Z. Whether that be um, whether that be through through CPD funds, whether that be through salaries, whether that be through networking opportunities, whatever that is, there's got to be a, a, always got to be a good experience for the people going through those processes. So I think that's that's been a really good starting point. Um, my experience is here. So my first graduate coach would have been 2013, where I had one graduate coach. Uh, that kind of exploded. Then we had uh, we've had three graduate coaches at one point in time. Now we're into a model of kind of an assistant athletic development coach, two graduate coaches, two placement students. So it's really expanded. The, the first, my first reflection is the demand is is there. The university education sector is is doing an amazing job of creating opportunities for people to become theoretically sound in various different sports science provisions. What we have to do then as an employer is, is match that opportunity and create really great experiences for young, young, ambitious um, practitioners and coaches to kind of, again, to accelerate them through, through their, their journey. I think there's two, two things which I would always talk to, to other employers or even graduates who come into our program. Like, there's going to be high challenge, for sure. You're going to have to step up. You're going to have to take responsibility. You're going to be accountable. Uh, there's some expectation as well for you to be decent. Like, we want you to be a, a good coach. Um, but the other bit alongside that is really is high support, and that bit's probably the most critical bit, and the, the kind of skill that I've kind of still working on, but mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting better at is that you can't just put these people out, hang them out to dry. You really have to put a good support system around them, a really good, um, a really good development pathway during their time with you to to pick off the skills that they need to develop away from their coaching, away from their practice, but also within their practice. To, to support their to support their growth and to support their confidence and their skills and abilities as, as a young coach. So um, we have we now have a, a decent curriculum in place which is which supports people which supports our graduate coaches even before they enter us enter our environment. So um, on accepting a graduate role with us, they have to start thinking about then some of their objectives about entering into our program. They'd have, that really helps me get a feel for where they're at in terms of their thinking and, and their ambition and, and their, their self-awareness. If they come back with a really clear set of objectives, a really good understanding of, of what they've learned from previous placements or internships and, and how they're going to use that to better themselves in this one, straight away that paints a really clear picture for me about where we need to go. That's, that's not always the case, though. So my next step is to help them kind of formalise those objectives a little bit more clearly. Uh, and those, that's a journey we'll go on then is to try and work through those across a, a 10 to 12 month period to try and develop those. By the time they check out of this environment, they sh- we should have some boxes ticked and they should feel confident to express those at, at an interview 
and talk about their development. I think there's also some standardized stuff that we'll always refer back to on each each term. Um, building a philosophy, like having a set of beliefs about how you coach, whether that's planning, programming, coaching on the deck, whether that's about your communication, your belief about long-term athletic development, whether that's your belief about how you interact psychological skills into your strength training process, like whatever it is that's pertinent to you, let's do some reading around it. Let's formalize some thoughts and beliefs and let's try and live them, live and breathe them. And then we can go back and review whether you still believe in those having had a go at it. Uh, we've connected up with a team at Liverpool John Moores around some of their reflective practice work in coaching. Um, a lady called Dr. Amy Whitehouse does an amazing job um, in the Think Aloud domain, and we've kind of stole a little bit of that research and tried to bring it to life, and it's really challenged us as a coaching group to be really live and in action with our reflective practice. It's no longer a, right, think back to that session two weeks ago, what did we do well, what can we improve on? It's a, at this point in time, what's happening now? Tell me what you're thinking and have conversations. We formalize that, but it will also become an informal part of our of our coaching and interactions to develop some really good behaviors around around coaching and improving improving session delivery. Um, and on exit then it's about about how well prepared are is the paperwork to hand in for a role, how well prepared are you to sit and interview and, and be have real clarity in your thought process and we're lucky now because we've got some stories to tell of people who've gone on to some really good environments and and been really successful in in the role so that helps kind of reinforce and help sell that story so hopefully that kind of encapsulates encapsulate some of that journey i think the, the message around that robbie what people realize certainly schools and particularly millfield school um it's a learning environment for young people, but it's also a learning environment for young practitioners. And Graham's worked exceptionally hard to create a positive experience for them. You know, we accommodate them, we really look after them, they, they get all the food, but it's a multi-sport environment where they be challenged in many different ways. And, um, you know, we always encourage young developing practice, practitioners to look at the education environment. Many wouldn't because you always look to pro sport, but actually your ability to grow and to be supported and to really find yourself out as a practitioner can happen in these type of environments. And um, as I say, there are a number of success stories for us, for people in athletic development or physios who've gone on to amazing jobs after leaving here. So the transitions are as much about staff as they are young pupils. And we work really hard to create that learning environment for everybody. Awesome. Well, I think that's a really nice place to um, to finish up. If anyone wants to know more about what you guys are doing at Millfield, where is the best place to go? I know you've got a Millfield Twitter account, which I had a little, had a little look today and some cool stuff on there showcasing what you guys do. But from an individual basis and a collective, where's the best place for people to see what you do and get in touch and ask you questions and, and, and see, yeah, see what you do at Millfield? Yeah, I guess from a, a kind of sports science perspective, um, our Twitter handle, Millfield ISW. <clears throat> so the Millfield Institute of Sport and Wellbeing summarises kind of our practitioner group. We try and put some kind of relevant content up there, videos, photos. We run, we run a kind of weekly blog just to kind of organise some of our thoughts and experiences and stories around development. So that would be a kind of a good starting point for sure. Yeah, I mean, we have the Milford Sport uh, Twitter hashtag as well. But I think more, if people really want to come and visit and want to come and learn and understand a bit more about how it works in an independent school, and particularly this one where we truly believe in the value of sport just for developing people, regardless of what you go on to do, you know, just get onto the website and email us directly. Things will come through with us. More than welcome to come down and experience it, spend some time in different coaching environments and different sports. 
And um, like we, we encourage that because we learn off as many people as come in as, and equally what they'll get as well. So like it's an open door policy. Um, and, and so everybody's sort of welcome if they want to come in, come and offer something to this community. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate you all coming on and uh, lining the diary up and, and jumping online and having a chat. So thank you very much. Really excited to, I was really excited to get you on. And uh, yeah, really pleased to have you. So thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Cheers, Rob. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So big thanks to Scott, Alan and Graham for coming on this episode today. It's always a great thought to get multiple people in multiple locations on the podcast at the same time. But actually getting that done in practice is uh, is always a little more difficult. But in this scenario, it was super easy and I thank Scott for uh, doing a lot of the coordinating for me. So also big thanks to Omega Wave, to Kangatech, I Measure You and Hawking Dynamics for sponsoring this episode today. So we've got some cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, again from different corners of the world, across different sports. So if you haven't pressed subscribe on your chosen podcast player, make sure you do that now. Now? Do it now. And I will chat to you next week. <laughs>